Sophie Keatsman is a Berlin-born, Brussels-raised, gender-fluid queer photographer that currently resides and creates in New York City. So far, her path in photography has taken her through play, trauma, uprooting, coming out, identification, and spirituality, and has taught her precious lessons about the lack of visual representation of marginalized groups. Hey everyone, welcome back to Lady Empire. I have such an amazing guest here with me tonight. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. We have some great topics. Um, I'm really, really excited for this interview because you have such an intriguing background and upbringing, (laughs) and I'm so excited to learn more. So Let's just dive right in. Let's first start with you telling us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. Um, I would love to. <laughs> um, I grew up in Berlin in Germany and a little bit in Brussels in Belgium. Um, but I my mother tongue is German. My whole family still lives over there. Um, sometimes when I tell people that they are surprised, um, because I, you know, because I have an American accent, um, but I, it's actually my second language, English. Um, I, we moved from Berlin to Brussels when I was 11, um, because of my father's job. And I went to an international school there and there was a lot of American kids and American teachers. And, you know, when you're so young to learn a second language, you just kind of like emulate the way people talk talk. And um, that was my experience. And I'm very grateful I got to uh, grow up speaking two languages because it opened so many doors down the road in my life. It was a really cool school. It was, um, we had at one point, I think we had kids from every single nation in the entire world in that school. Um, And so not only did I learn English there, now you can basically throw me into like any social group and I'll be like, hi guys. (laughs) Wow. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, but that was my childhood, Berlin and Brussels, and um, I moved to the United States when I was 22. Wow. So tell us a little bit about your move to the U.S. Um, What sort of made you want to leave your family, leave your home, and kind of leave what you knew, right? So talk Mm. to us a little bit about how that move went and just changing, especially to New York the busiest, craziest part of the U.S. Um, so tell us about that cultural shift and that experience. Well, actually, you know, it ended up not being much of a culture shock for me, at least because of going to that international school. I was around so many different cultures. Um, but I mean, obviously, it's that wasn't the easiest decision to make. Um, but I grew up with this fascination for New York City specifically, as I think a lot of kids in Europe do. It's like everywhere in the media, the city of dreams and you, I, I guess you really do kind of hype it up in your mind. But ultimately, you know, New York has been really a gift for me. And I came here when I was studying photography in Berlin. We had to do a study abroad or an internship. 
And um, I snagged a really cool internship with a photographer here in New York City that I was so excited about. Um, so I came here for six months and then I went back to Europe to graduate and get a work visa. And that was kind of like my foot in the door. And I was like, I have to get back there. Um, and so that's how I decided to um, move here permanently. And um, the reasoning, I mean, I think on a rational of it was like, because like I said, it was like the city of dreams and I felt like I could build a career here and stuff. And I think on a more personal level, it was because I felt free here. You know, New York City is like the kind of city where you can step on the street, be whoever you want, and nobody cares. <laughs> Absolutely. And I try every year to visit New York City. I have lots of friends there, but it's like nowhere I've ever been. And you just feel so comfortable there. And you can, like you said, be whoever you want to be, be, look however you want. And I love it so much. Um, there's no Thank judgment you. there. No one cares. It's, it's amazing. Um, and so I want to learn a little bit more about what started your passion for photography? Did you start that at a young age? Did it sort of develop as you grew older? Talk to us a little bit about that. Mm, it started when I was really, really young um, because my dad was a hobby photographer and he was obsessed with it. And I grew up without siblings, unfortunately. So <clears throat> I think it turned into like, the toy that I entertained myself with all those times where it was just me and my parents and then my dad's camera. So I started to steal his camera when I was like seven years old. Cause you know, we would go on like weekend walks or hikes or whatever. And I'd be there like twiddling my thumbs being bored yeah. <laughs> with the adults. And the camera was always this, this, you know, this toy that we brought with us and it fascinated me because it gave me kind of a purpose outside of having to like ask my parents to entertain me when I had my dad's camera, then I had a mission, even though I was alone. That sounds kind of sad, but no. the times that I was alone in my childhood, which there was many, it was me and the camera. And then I think my dad got really annoyed because he was like, excuse me, can I have my camera back? Right. <laughs> so he gifted me one of his old cameras when I was like nine. And from there on, it was just, you know, that's oh, Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I want to talk about this really interesting topic that I think you really embody in your photography. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your goal in visual representation of marginalized groups. Um, and that is your main focus in your photography. So Talk to us a little bit about what that concept is and really what your goal is um, in embodying that in your photography. That actually links really well into, you know, my childhood of photography, because when I was little, I was obsessed with the fashion and beauty industry, same as I was obsessed with New York. And I think the two kind of went hand in hand and um in my childhood bedroom I would you know hang up all these images from fashion magazines or print them out from you know the world's most famous fashion photographers on Google I would print them out and like you know basically wallpaper my bedroom with it and um 
later on in my life, I realized that I didn't really see myself in any of those images, you know, and all of the fashion models and all of the beauty photography was, it was just this one very specific type of people that were being shown. Right. And much later in life, especially after moving to New York, I, you know, I really came out of my shell and I discovered a large part of who I am and my identity and um, my community. And I realized that uh, this vision that I had had in my head of who I should be as I was growing up was so narrow. and It didn't leave a lot of space for me to find myself within that. And I realized that what I was consuming and what I was looking at as a kid really played into that. And then I started asking myself, how I would have perceived myself at a young age if I would have seen a lot more different people. And, um, you know, ultimately those are the kind of people that I started photographing. It was the people where I thought, what would my life have looked like if there was a much larger variety of people hanging on my bedroom wall as a kid. Right. And that included so many different people that included, um, for, well, to start off with like lots of different body types, mm-hmm. uh, lots of different body shapes, uh, different races, um, people with different gender expressions and sexual orientations, you know, especially in the fashion industry, there's this one version of a woman that is being shown or has been shown for decades and most people actually probably wouldn't identify with what we consume in commercial fashion and beauty industry. Right. And that also includes people with disabilities or people with skin conditions or people of all ages. Ageism is such a huge thing in the fashion industry. And those, so that was kind of like, you know, I moved to New York city. I came out as gay after I moved here and I really changed the way that I saw myself and the way I took up space and really started recognizing myself as who I am because I finally had that space to take up. But it took me moving away and and finally realizing that what I had been consuming visually wasn't matching up to, for example, how I identify, how I see myself. And then I started photographing those people because when I moved to New York City was the first time really that I found myself surrounded by a lot of the people I identified with. And I was like, well, those are the people that I need to include in my art. So I felt like now I had this tool belt, like I had studied photography, I had started working in in the commercial industry. And I was like, well, those are the people I need to bring into this because this world is so coveted. It's so closed off. And for centuries, well, centuries, for a really long time, it's always just been the same people running the show, the same kind of people being uplifted and put on a pedestal. And also like that doesn't really feel good as a consumer these days. You know, like we don't, we're not really interested in seeing people anymore that are unobtainable to us. It feels a lot better to see somebody where you're like, that person has the same cellulite I have on my butt, you know? Right, right. (laughs) So that's what, that's what that, you know, what that includes is the visual representation of marginalized communities and visually underrepresented people. Basically the people that haven't been shown enough proportionately to 
the amount of people they take up in our society. Mm -hmm. And this is so fascinating because I think everyone listening has experienced this, right? Like from the time we were kids and what we consumed and what we thought we were supposed to look like or how we were supposed to act, right? And looking at different Hollywood actresses and actors or musicians and what they looked like, you know, we thought, well, that's what we need to be. That's what we should look like. And we felt like failures almost if we didn't reach that. Like you said, it's very non-obtainable. I mean, it's it's not reality, you know? And so I think everyone listening has experienced that to some degree. Um, and, you know, that's why what you're doing is so fascinating. And everyone listening needs to check out Sophie's art. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so intriguing. And we're going to um, link everything, obviously, in the notes. But, um, you know, when I came across your page, I was like, wow, you know, you never see this. You never see, like you said, different ages, people with different um, disabilities, different races. Um, And it's so cool to see because you never see that. And, you know, I think times have obviously progressed, but still it's it's moving slowly. But um, so it's so cool to see um, the different art that you've been working on and so I want to talk a little bit about some of the different brands that you have worked with as well. Um, we have British Vogue, Vogue Italia, GQ Italia, and so many more. Um, so tell us about working with these big name brands. Uh, were you still able to use your creativity when working with these brands? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Those experiences were very gratifying because they were, they were, those were the magazines that I was ripping out and hanging on my bedroom wall, you know, and the first couple of times they came knocking, it was like, me? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really appreciate those, a lot of those publications that you were talking about because they, um, I mean, a lot of those magazines are fashion magazines, but they are really rooted in social topics, social agenda, social activism. Um, Vogue Italia has been one of the forerunners, I think, in that, in um, the fashion industry as well. And they do such a good job at combining culture references and artists, you know, uh, in tech, like integrating social activism and social topics in their work and combining that with fashion and cultural references through fashion and and art and um the editorial publications that published some of my work it's because they know that you know even though we live in a consumer society it's so much more these days in the way that we consume media and there is such a huge platform there to make statements and to change the way we look at the diversity of our society and um, every time they publish some of my work, I it's I know that because of what they're doing with their platforms, putting my work alongside all of these other artists that are also starting to really speak up about these things, it amplifies what we're all collectively trying to say. So especially those magazines that you were talking about, that's always the experience I get from working with them. 
And then with the with commercial brands, so if you're talking about like a brand that is selling a product, brands are very much on that train as well now where they recognize, you know, like our consumers, they want to see people like themselves because it doesn't really work anymore to make us try to obtain something unachievable and then try to get us to buy something in order to feel a little bit closer to that unobtainability. That's not really how we work anymore. Right. <laughs> and um, I really love supporting brands in that because they're starting to really catch on to, you know, not just diversifying the people that they're putting in their campaigns, but the teams that they're hiring behind the scenes and the creative teams that they let come up with concept, like concepts for marketing and stuff like that. And those are always really interesting conversations to have because obviously, you know, everybody's on their own journey within that and they're at different stages. And um, for me, it's a very gratifying process to be able to help brands navigate that line between like veering away from tokenistic representation, which is where you take a person, you put them on a pedestal and you make them stand for a whole social group, but behind the scenes, it's still not diverse at all. Right. Versus actual representation where we diversify in front of the camera, behind of the camera, in the creative calls we're having and bringing in lots of different voices because we know that the end product is something that holds more social value to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. That was a long-winded answer. But, you know, like this is a topic I talk about a lot because it's so important. No, I loved that so much. And as you were talking, you know, I was thinking... I never think about these things, right? When we're opening a Vogue magazine, you're not thinking about the team that is behind the scenes. You're not thinking about who took this photo. What did they look like? What do they think? How do they act? Um, What do they represent? And I love thinking about that. Now that you were talking, I'm like, wow, that's like such a great topic and concept to think about who is representing these brands, who is behind the scenes and, you know, what do they represent? So I love that so much. And I want to um, close out with our last question here. And you have contributed to many different exhibitions that have many different meanings and um, different areas of art. So um, talk to us about maybe one of your favorite ones that you worked on or that you were a part of. My favorite one that always pops into my mind first was um, the second time I partake, partook in Milan Photo Week. Um, it was the Photo Vogue Festival that they do every year. Um, Photo Vogue is a platform for photographers contributing to the global Vogue network. And they do an annual exhibition in Milan. And it was the year, the first year of COVID. Um, The year prior, I partook in the exhibition. They usually, you know, have these beautiful spaces that they rent out and, you know, really give a platform to artists. And then this year, it was going to be this really big thing. And so many artists were going to contribute. And then all of a sudden, you know, the world shut down. And it was like, what are we going to do? And they really came up with this amazing concept where they hired amazing graphic designers to create the first visual online exhibition space um, which was I'm I think the website is still up um, and if I can find it I'll send you a link to it as everybody should check it out they they did it so beautifully but then they thought okay well 
how do we bring the community together to view this collection of art? And what they did was they did an outdoor exhibition at one of the biggest squares in Milan that most people living in Milan cross every day in the morning on the way to work. And our exhibition went around the entire square um, outdoors. And honestly, ultimately, I think probably more people ended up seeing our work. And it, in you know, the topic of that exhibition was we're all in this together. And it was really based around the concept of community, of how artists were interpreting the meaning of community in these difficult times, which was just a perfect subject, you know, because right. um, a lot of us advocate for representation or our individuals from marginalized communities. And the first thing that we started missing was our communities, you know, those spaces where we actually feel integrated and um, the most, you know, held space for. And then when I saw it, honestly, I might've cried a little bit just because it is so overwhelming to see all of these artists make such a loud statement together. Mm-hmm. It was really overwhelming and it really made me believe again in the power of collective art um, and organizations like Vogue that that helps us come together in these, in these things. Because us in, individuals, you know, we... We spend day in, day out perfecting making a statement with what we do. But then when we put all of these things next to each other and we stand together and make a statement, it became so loud. It was really overwhelming. Um, That was my favorite one so far. All the other ones were, they had a similar effect on me, but that that one really changed me, I think, as an artist. I love that so much. And I even wanted to cry with you explaining that to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't cry, don't cry. It's like chills. I'm like, that is so cool. And, you know, when COVID hit, you thought about all the different industries that were affected, all the different people that were affected. And um, it's so inspiring to see different ways that communities came together and even seeing brands um, take initiatives in bringing people together. And I love to hear that so much that you got to experience that and feel that and uh, how much it affected you. I love to hear that so much. Also, I, I want at this point, just take the opportunity real quick, just to say that, that um, I'm really grateful that you're having me on. And I'm very thankful for the community that you're building as well. Um because, you know, there's so many different iterations of communities for each of us. And um, the fact that I get the opportunity to speak to the community that you're building um, means a lot to me. And I wanted to encourage your listeners and your community on that same topic to mm, empower themselves into stepping into their own power of visual representation for themselves. Because as much as you know the what i do with my work is intended to empower marginalized communities it's also really intended to empower individuals and by trying to aid a world that has a larger representation of the di- of how diverse we all are in our as individuals i want to inspire the people that are listening to this to kind of recognize that there is space for them to take up visually and that they deserve to 
be given material that they can identify themselves with and find self-recognition so that we all feel more included in a larger picture. And I hope that maybe me coming on this podcast and talking to the the, listen, the listeners that you have, which I think are such powerful individuals, like I can tell, you know, a lot of them are entrepreneurs and they're really interested in really, really powerful topics that you talk to, to maybe spark a little bit of inspiration along that topic and and find self-recognition for themselves within the photography world, maybe even. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that. And that's exactly what I am trying to do here, right? I want women from all different races, ages, sexual orientation, careers, industries. Um, I want them all on this podcast. I want a variety of different views. I want a variety of different people who stand for different things, right? I I have my own views. I have my own standards, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only way of thinking. That shouldn't be the only way of acting. And I love, you know, bringing people on here, listening to what they have to say, listening to who they are and what they stand for. And I just love it so much. And I'm so happy that you brought that up because that is a huge part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I love it so much. And just meeting a variety of different women across the world. Um, it's just been super special. And I just love it. I'm grateful too. I'm grateful that you are here <laughs> and that I get to meet tons of different women. And so thank you so much for bringing that up. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for giving all of us permission to take up space. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is my guest's platform. It's their space to share whatever they want to share, be whoever they want to be. I kind of have New York City um, in a virtual space here, being whoever <laughs> you whoever you are, you can share it here on this platform. So um, speaking of platforms, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they follow what you're doing? My Instagram is where I share like the most like insight into what I do, like the behind the scenes and things I think about on the daily. And um, I recently started a coaching program for, um, up, you know, becoming photographers and models. So I share a lot about like, you know, the mentality around being an entrepreneur, being a, a freelance artist. Um, so that's a lot of like behind the scenes. And then if they want to check out my website, I think that's the best representation of my work. If you guys want to have a little browse at some of the work I've done and um, have my bio on there and lots of other good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared. This was such a beautiful conversation. One of my favorite interviews that I've done recently. <laughs> So thank you so much for everything and for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for um, chatting and letting me come on here and talk about myself. Mm -hmm.